Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Interest rate cuts are still one of the hottest topics out there, and we're going to give you an update on when the first one may be expected. And it is now time for us to also dive into this brand new flipping tax. And yeah, it is a flipping tax. Let's also get into why building permits are dropping dramatically and how that's going to set us up for housing supply in the future. And lastly, some insights into just how challenging it is out there for developers to bring new product to market. And just before we get into today's episode, a reminder that if you're trying to navigate this pretty unclear real estate market, you just want to have a conversation about where you're at, where you where you might want to go, reach out to the Calendly link for all of our YouTube subscribers right below the video here. Book a call with us and let's chat about it. Okay, so let's start off with rate cuts. Last week, we saw that better than expected inflation print, and that dramatically moved the needle as to when markets are expecting rate cuts. And with that move, they actually priced in one additional rate cut in 2024 relative to just the one week before. So now markets are essentially pricing in three rate cuts total for 2024, with the first one taking place in April. And uh, we're, I guess, now right into March. So as early as next month, we can expect that cut. And as we all know, this information can change in a heartbeat. Um, But that said, there's currently no forecasting for either zero rate cuts or any hikes right now. Sure, anything can happen that can change. But as of today, we are only expecting or the markets are only expecting to see cuts in this year. Time will tell. But let's look a little bit deeper into the inflation print here, because the core measures of inflation, which do matter more to the Bank of Canada, well, they lowered to 3.4% down from 3.6%. And yes, that is still above the 1% to 3% target range that the BOC wants to see it in. But let's take a look at that same number if you take mortgage interest rate cuts, or sorry, mortgage interest out of that CPI basket. Well, that pushes it down to 2%. Great. Okay. But you, you, you know, understandably can't just take elements of the basket out and say that everything's fine. But the reason that we're having this conversation, the reason we do look at it with mortgage interest rate taken out is because if you look to other countries around the world, well, they do not include mortgage interest as part of their CPI basket, part of their inflation data, because it's essentially a self-fulfilling type of scenario, right? Because if rates go up, well, inflation goes up and then rates go up and that pushes inflation back up. It's, it's like a dog chasing its tail, essentially. So now there are renewed calls for the mortgage interest element of the CPI basket to be removed from how they measure it. Don't maybe expect that to happen, but it does speak to potentially how flawed our CPI calculation may actually be in this country. Uh, it, it's just it, at times it's comical. You know, I think you're if you're gonna if you're really gonna measure any kind of progress, you can't just change you know the goalposts every time you want to measure progress. So you know, I always found it interesting when central banks massage the CPI basket, just depending on the kind of climate they're in. It doesn't it, it's not a very telling 
uh, or accurate way of forecasting where things are at. You know, I mean, what are we really at? Are we at 3%? Are we at 1.5%? Are we at 2%? Where are we? It's very confusing. Moving on to new housing supply here. Housing starts dropped 10% month over month in January and are down 18% since the November highs. We're sitting at around 245,000 new homes on the year, just slightly above the long-term average. But what's worse is expect starts to decline in the coming months. As building submissions and uh, permits have fallen to the lowest levels seen back during the COVID lockdowns, they're down 22% nationally. And in Ontario, for example, they're down 39%. Strip out the COVID data points and new building permits are back to 2016 numbers. It's an eight-year low. Under construction, though, is at an all-time high of 353,000 units. But we may very well be starting the current cycle peak as the dramatic drop in building permits is kind of telling where things might be going. Expect the under construction numbers to drop through the rest of 2024. We have been seeing this through our own uh, network and we've been seeing this through our own developers that we've been talking to, along with construction employment. That's likely all but certain to follow. So let's dive into the new flipping tax that was announced last week. Uh, you may have noticed that last week we recorded our episode early on Tuesday, which was, I think, the day before the tax was announced. So we had some time here to kind of go through it and wanted to chat, kind of walk it through really here. And as usual, uh, the government is not looking inwards as to, as to where the housing crisis originates from and where the problems truly are. And so last week, they decided to point the finger at home flippers. They're the new cause of, of, our, of our housing crisis. And so this, this tax, it's, it's a tax of uh, 20% on the gain of a home sold within one year and prorated on sales uh, of up to two years. So if you sell between year, the end of year one and year two, it's kind of a sliding scale downwards to zero. The intention of this tax is to discourage short-term holding of property for profit. What? Like, who does that? You don't, people don't go and buy a home and say, okay, I'm going to hold this for 12 months and just, you know, reap the rewards. And I'll get into those numbers in a sec, but it's, it's, it's flawed out of the gate is my opinion here. And do keep in mind, this flipping tax is in addition to the already in existence federal anti-flipping tax. So there's two taxes if you flip now. The federal one is quoted as being the profit from property flipping is fully taxable as business income and does not qualify for the 50% capital gains inclusion rate or the principal residence exemption. Okay, so who is this tax targeting exactly? Because as I mentioned, nobody goes out uh, with the intention of buying a, a home, holding it for 12 months and then running away with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like if you go to buy and sell a home within one year, the cost, the fees, the taxes on that sale and on that purchase within one year, it's upwards of 6%. You know, that's the cost to buy and sell a home. So if the market had a good year and went up 6%, you'd be breaking even, but you'd have to go through all the joys of buying and selling a home. Like it just, it doesn't make any sense here. Like, are you expecting that the market's going to do 12% year over year? So you just make a bit of money. It just, that doesn't seem to make sense here. So then let's talk about the other segment, people who actually buy homes, fix them up to make them more livable, and then sell them as for a profit, okay? They take a, essentially a derelict home, something that maybe nobody would want to live in, and make it absolutely livable. 
So is that someone that should really be targeted as, as the evil person that's causing all this unaffordability in our country and in our city here? Think of it like this. If you are a home buyer, you're a new home buyer and your entry level, you can afford a, a condominium of five, six hundred thousand dollars, for example. And when you go and you look at what's on the market at five hundred grand, you're like, wow, these are really beat up. They're really old. The carpets are 40 years old. Maybe I don't want to live there. Okay, that's tough. But then you have somebody who comes into that same property and they put in fifty, sixty thousand dollars and they flip it six months later for 600,000. Okay. So they're making just a little bit of profit here. And now you've got a beautiful livable home. Well, as a home buyer, the difference, the money that you need to come up with to buy a $500,000 house to a $600,000 house, if you qualify at 5% down, you only have to come up with an additional five grand to buy that now beautifully renovated home. Okay. And that might be a lot more possible for a home buyer than coming up with the 50 to $60,000 to fix the home and to fix the home and to apply for the permits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But again, the, the, these, these flippers, these people who are making these homes livable are, are the devils of the industry, apparently. Uh, this tax does apply to free sales and assignments as well. Uh, again, I, I think it's flawed because ultimately, if you are looking to actually profit by assigning a contract of your pre-sale, realistically, you got to wait more than two years anyway before there's going to be any type of lift there. You know, so you're not going to buy an assignment, flip it in 12 months, typically. So no real profit there. How much of the marketplace does this tax apply to? Okay, so again, we're trying to trying to uh, create affordability here. Well, in the last couple of years here, Vancouver and Victoria, home homes that are flipped in under 24 months equates to less than two percent of all total transactions. So as usual, this tax is going to have basically zero effect in in pricing and affordability. It's yet, in my opinion. Another tax thrown out there for the optics of our politicians doing something and and buying some votes. And ultimately, it'll it'll likely just hurt the industry. Let's take a quick look back and talk about all the other taxes that they have put in play here. And let's talk about how much, uh, how affordable these have made homes. Okay. Going back to 2016 is when the foreign buyer tax was implemented. And then they increased that foreign buyer tax. And then they made a foreign buyer ban. And then they introduced a speculation tax and then a vacancy tax. And don't forget there's GST on new homes. And then we had PTT and then they increased the PTT, the property transfer tax. And then they put on all these Airbnb restrictions and saying you can't do it unless it is your primary residence. And then there was the federal flipping tax and now there's the provincial flipping tax. So here's just a ton of taxation on homes over the last eight years. And yet has any of this increased the affordability of our housing? I mean, we're up 14% in the average home price since that original tax back in 2016. On top of this, even with all these new and increased taxes, our province is running at one of the largest deficits we've seen. So when we you know, look at where all this money is going, it certainly isn't going to building affordable homes, at least not that we can tell. And when we look at Ryan's point about the massive reduction in building permits that are coming, if you're asking yourself, well, why are, why are builders pulling back? And it's ultimately because it's a really hostile environment for them right now. And, and what that means is it's really hard as a developer, as a builder, to turn a profit when you're building homes right now. Keep in mind, today, approximately 30% of the cost of a new home goes to city fees and taxation. 
pile on top of that, the two to three years of dealing with the city to get your development and building permits in place, which adds to the holding costs, right? You're not just holding a property for free. Even a vacant lot or a derelict house has costs every month. A quick story to share with you too. I recently bought a, helped a client buy into a half duplex on the West side and the builder, one of the builders was there and, and speaking to the home and walking the owners through and pointing out all the great features of the home. And they mentioned that the, the duplex that they built is essentially unbuildable today. Because of course, they bought that lot three years ago, and that lot is not the same price today. And the construction costs are up from three years ago. And so the price that they bought the home, it could not be rebuilt for that same price. They would guarantee a loss if they were to build that exact same property today. So that gives you an insight into as a developer, it's very hard to come to market with all these fees and taxes that are thrown in here. There's very little incentive for uh, a builder to enter this marketplace right now. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Dan, what you talked about is. So interesting because, you know, there's the, I think the, the intention of the tax is to, uh, you know, stifle these speculators. But when you're attacking 2% of the marketplace, it won't have a material effect on the marketplace. The other side of this too is we also have capital gains tax, which is a big part of this. Most people who would be flipping a home, it's not their primary residence. So they're also paying the capital gains tax on top of all those taxes you already stated. It, it continues to beg the question, these, you know, these knee-jerk reactions to, you know, like this, this new form of taxation is because we haven't asked the bigger question, which we've posed on our podcast before us. How big do we intend Vancouver to be? How many people do we really want to bring here? What are we planning for? And does the housing policy fit that plan? I mean, you got to really think here. If somebody buys a house and then they go into it and they renovate it, and now they're going to get hit with a 20% tax. Those people are going to not take their property to market. And if they further stifle supply, it's going to push price the other way. It's going to push it up. So again, you're going to push developers out because they're not going to want to deal with everything that they have to be confronted with. Consumers are also looking at this like, how, how can I get ahead? How can I take on a, a secondary, you know, side hustle, maybe renovate a place and sell it for a profit so that I can get ahead and be less of a burden to the system. But here we are taxing all of this demand. And it just, it boggles my mind why we keep banging our head against the wall, expecting a different result. When we need to look at the other side of the equation. That's, that's just how I yeah, feel about this. It's almost just that. Instead of tinkering and adding a little tax here and then a little incentive here and a little tax here and a more incentive here, it's just remove it all, essentially. Don't do <laughs> either. Get rid of, you know, this is essentially the solution in, in my book, or at least an idea here is get rid of the majority, if you could, you know, it's a hypothetical, of course, of the taxes and the fees. Yes, the city needs fees for infrastructure. I get that, but we're not saying maybe 30% isn't, isn't the right number. Right? So you pull back on the taxes, you pull back on the fees, obviously cut the wait times at city hall. And one idea too is in incentivizing builders, is there a way to give them, I don't know, like a, like a equate to like a tuition loan, right? Like a 0% financing on construction or very low 1%, you know, keep it very meaningful and, and make it work for them. Essentially, we want to just stop taxing the demand and support the supply. That's my rallying call. Support the supply. <laughs> support the supply. <laughs> you get the idea here. But you know, it's we laugh, but that's that's what we need to see in place. We need to see well, builders incentivized. And 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 to speak to this, I mean, uh, we we've got another developer story where we're seeing the future inventory being stifled uh, because of not only the uncertainty of the marketplace, but also. 
uh, the cost of, of building and, and having to contribute many of these, uh, you know, they're called CACs, community amenity contributions, to the city before any development can even take place. You know, developers have to put down millions and millions of dollars. And why would they expose themselves in a marketplace that, that you know, the government keeps tinkering with? And I, it kind of brings me to the next story here. Um, so... The Vancouver Sun has recently reported that Anthem Properties was required as part of a rezoning uh, of a 33-story, 127-unit um, apartment building on West Georgia Street. Granted, very expensive location, but they had to pay $26.1 million for their CACs. And this is to help offset the costs of the, uh, to the city resulting from the project. Anthem has already paid more than 15 million of that total up front, and the city has allowed the remaining $10.4 million to be deferred until the first permit building was given. Well, that was given two years ago. And Anthem is again citing, now they're asking for an extension on this additional 10.4 million because of market uncertainty from interest rates, the slowdown in the condo and market sales conditions, coupled with unprecedented increases in hard costs. Dan, going back to your point about the duplex builder who can't build the same product today. Um, you know, and it appears the city is looking like it will grant this extension because they're also facing the reality of what happens if we don't work with developers here, we're not going to get the housing supply that we need in the future. And this kind of goes back to the point, the things that move a market are, are access to liquidity and credit. That's what really moves the marketplace. And with restrictive levels of credit, interest rate uncertainties, coupled with higher construction costs, increasing CAC fees, and monumental density changes as a result of political policy, the incentive for developers to take on risk and build in this environment and not get hurt is just too high. So they're going to wait until the dust settles, until some of this stuff, they're going to hang back. They will let the market fall if it has to. Once there's a clear path, both from the market liquidity perspective and also from the regulatory change perspective, I think that's when we'll likely see developers really return to the marketplace and ramp up their building permits. But until that takes place, until there's some market certainty, until there's regulatory changes, kind of the, the dust settles, you know, why would a developer take on this risk? There's, there's just, you know, the government keeps sticking their finger in another tax here, regulatory change here. Some of it's good, but more taxes make it, you know, confusing for, for people who are just trying to live here. And it shows very much in our current inventory landscape. We've been talking about this sort of sub 10,000 marketplace for a couple of years now, and we're still there. You know, it's, it's uh, February 29th today. We're recording this on, on a leap year day. And I just wanted to share a quick sort of market update. And as we have one extra day this year, I'm going to share the data up to the 28th. So we're talking apples to apples here compared to last year's February. So real quick, the, the sales are up as well this month, just like they were last month, uh, to the tune of about 9% so far. Obviously, that, that bonus day will probably push out over 10%, but you get the idea. We're up about 9%. Just under 2,000 units are going to sell in February here. Inventory, if we take a snapshot right now, it's literally right at 10,000, but that will drop uh, tomorrow because, of course, a lot of people pull off their listings at the end of the month. Some relist, some don't. We're going to wash out somewhere around, I don't know, 93 to 9,500, but still sub 10,000 units yet again. 
Pricing though, we're actually seeing pricing increase this month. Uh, medians jumping about 22,000, averages up about 15,000. That will push HPI to maybe be flat because it is about a two to three month lagger. It might go down just a hair, but um, the rate of decline that we've seen for six months is slowing. Maybe an early indicator of uh, near uh, a cycle bottom to be seen, of course, but uh, that's kind of what we are tracking right now. Next week, of course, we will have the full February in-depth market uplook for you. Uh, Ryan, you want to take us home on this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious because uh, maybe the last thing I'd, I'd like to touch on is is maybe a bit of a, a prediction in terms of whether or not the Bank of Canada will actually cut rates in April like some markets or market predictors are suggesting. Uh, I'm still, I think, with the leaning on, on the side of Doug Porter's uh, prediction where the bank will probably wait until June. With that said, uh, I guess it really remains to be seen <clears throat> how employment numbers wash out, how inflation continues to wash out, uh, and whether, you know, other parts of the world, for example, I know, uh, you know, the UK, for example, um, has, you know, formally announced they're in a recession. I think three of the, of the uh, seven G7 nations are in formal technical recessions. So it'll be really interesting to see um, how that tends to affect uh, our market here as well. So interesting times ahead, but um, I'm until we start seeing more degradation in the, in the environment and, and really specifically to jobs and em employment, I think uh, the Bank of Canada is going to wait until June before they actually do something. Perfect. Thanks as always for tuning in. We hope you found this episode valuable. And if you did, please share it with at least one person that might get some value out of it too. Thanks again and have a great day. We'll see you here next week. Bye. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.